Chapter Six, Part One of the Confessions of Arsène Lupin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Confessions of Arsène Lupin by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Six, Shadowed by Death. After he had been round the walls of the property, Arsène Lupin returned to the spot from which he started. It was perfectly clear to him that there was no breach in the walls, and the only way of entering the extensive grounds of the Château de Montpertuis was through a little low door, firmly bolted on the inside, or through the principal gate, which was overlooked by the lodge. "'Very well,' he said, "'we must employ heroic methods.' Pushing his way into the copsewood where he had hidden his motor-bicycle, he unwound a length of twine from under the saddle, and went to a place which he had noticed in the course of his exploration. At this place, which was situated far from the road, on the edge of a wood, a number of large trees, standing inside the park, overlapped the wall." Lupin fastened a stone to the end of the string, threw it up, and caught a thick branch, which he drew down to him and bestraddled. The branch, in recovering its position, raised him from the ground. He climbed over the wall, slipped down the tree, and sprang lightly on the grass. It was winter, and through the leafless boughs, across the undulating lawns, he could see the little Chateau de Montpertuis in the distance. Fearing lest he should be perceived, he concealed himself behind a clump of fir-trees, from there, with the aid of a field-glass, he studied the dark and melancholy front of the manor-house. All the windows were closed, and as it were barricaded with solid shutters. The house might easily have been uninhabited. "'By Jove!' muttered Lupin. "'It's not the liveliest of residences. I shall certainly not come here to end my days.' But the clock struck three. One of the doors on the ground floor opened, and the figure of a woman appeared a very slender figure wrapped in a brown cloak. The woman walked up and down for a few minutes, and was at once surrounded by birds, to which she scattered crumbs of bread. Then she went down the stone steps that led to the middle lawn and skirted it, taking the path on the right. With his field-glass, Lupin could distinctly see her coming in his direction. She was tall, fair-haired, graceful in appearance, and seemed to be quite a young girl. She walked with a sprightly step, looking at the pale December sun and amusing herself by breaking the little dead twigs on the shrubs along the road. She had gone nearly two-thirds of the distance that separated her from Lupin when there came a furious sound of barking, and a huge dog, a colossal Danish boarhound, sprang from a neighboring kennel and stood erect at the end of the chain by which it was fastened. The girl moved a little to one side, without paying further attention to what was doubtless a daily incident. The dog grew angrier than ever, standing on its legs and dragging at its collar, at the risk of strangling itself. Thirty or forty steps farther, yielding probably to an impulse of impatience, the girl turned round and made a gesture with her hand. The great Dane gave a start of rage, retreated to the back of its kennel, and rushed out again, this time unfettered. The girl uttered a cry of mad terror. The dog was covering the space between them, trailing its broken chain behind it. She began to run, to run with all her might, and screamed out desperately for help. But the dog came up with her in a few bounds. She fell at once exhausted, giving herself up for lost. The animal was already upon her, almost touching her. At that exact moment a shot rang out. The dog turned a complete somersault, recovered its feet, tore the ground and then lay down, giving a number of hoarse, breathless howls, which ended in a dull moan and an indistinct gurgling and that was all. "'Dead,' said Dupin, who had hastened up at once, prepared, if necessary, to fire his revolver a second time. 
the girl had risen and stood pale, still staggering. She looked in great surprise at this man whom she did not know, and who had saved her life. And she whispered, "'Thank you. I've had a great fright. You were in the nick of time. I thank you, monsieur.' Lupin took off his hat. "'Allow me to introduce myself, mademoiselle. My name is Paul d'Aubray. But before entering into any explanations, I must ask for one moment.' He stooped over the dog's dead body and examined the chain at the part where the brute's effort had snapped it. "'That's it,' he said between his teeth. "'It's just as I suspected. By Jupiter, things are moving rapidly. I ought to have come earlier.' Returning to the girl's side, he said to her, speaking very quickly, "'Mademoiselle, we have not a minute to lose. My presence in these grounds is quite irregular. I do not wish to be surprised here, and this for reasons that concern yourself alone.' Do you think that the report can have been heard at the house? The girl seemed already to have recovered from her emotion, and she replied, with a calmness that revealed all her pluck, I don't think so. Is your father in the house today? My father is ill and has been in bed for months. Besides, his room looks out on the other front. And the servants? Their quarters in the kitchen are also on the other side. No one ever comes to this part. I walk here myself, but nobody else does. It is probable, therefore, that I have not been seen either, especially as the trees hide us. It is most probable. Then I can speak to you freely. Certainly, but I don't understand. You will, presently. Permit me to be brief. The point is this. Four days ago, Mademoiselle Jeanne Darcieux— That is my name, she said, smiling. Mademoiselle Jeanne Darcieux, continued Lupin, wrote a letter to one of her friends, called Marceline, who lives at Versailles. "'How do you know all that?' asked the girl in astonishment. "'I tore up the letter before I had finished it.' "'And you flung the pieces on the edge of the road that runs from the house to Vendôme.' "'That's true. I'd gone out walking.' The pieces were picked up, and they came into my hands next day. "'Then you must have read them,' said Jeanne Darcieux, betraying a certain annoyance by her manner. "'Yes, I committed that indiscretion, and I do not regret it, because I can save you.' "'Save me? From what?' "'From death.' Lupin spoke this little sentence in a very distinct voice. The girl gave a shudder. Then she said, "'I am not threatened with death?' "'Yes, you are, mademoiselle. At the end of October you were reading on a bench on the terrace where you were accustomed to sit at the same hour every day, when a block of stone fell from the cornice above your head, and you were within a few inches of being crushed.' "'An accident!' One fine evening in November you were walking in the kitchen garden by moonlight. A shot was fired. The bullet whizzed past your ear. At least I thought so. Lastly, less than a week ago, the little wooden bridge that crosses the river in the park, two yards from the waterfall, gave way while you were on it. You were just able, by a miracle, to catch hold of the root of a tree. Jeanne Darcieux tried to smile. Very well. But as I wrote to Marceline, these are only a series of coincidences, of accidents. No, mademoiselle, no. One accident of this sort is allowable. So are two. And even then. But we have no right to suppose that the chapter of accidents, repeating the same act three times in such different and extraordinary circumstances, is a mere amusing coincidence. That is why I thought that I might presume to come to your assistance, and as my intervention can be of no use unless it remains secret, I do not hesitate to make my way in here, without walking through the gate. I came in the nick of time, as you said. Your enemy was attacking you once more. What? Do 
you think no it is impossible i refuse to believe lupin picked up the chain and showing it to her look at the last link there is no question but that it has been filed otherwise so powerful a chain as this would never have yielded besides you can see the mark of the file here jeanne turned pale and her pretty features were distorted with terror but who can bear me such a grudge she gasped it's terrible i've never done any one harm and yet you are certainly right worse still she finished her sentence in a lower voice worse still i'm wondering whether the same danger does not threaten my father has he been attacked also no for he never stirs from his room but his is such a mysterious illness he has no strength he cannot walk at all in addition to that he is subject to fits of suffocation as though his heart stopped beating oh what an awful thing lupin realized all the authority which he was able to assert at such a moment and he said have no fear mademoiselle if you obey me blindly i shall be sure to succeed yes yes i am quite willing but all this is so terrible trust me i beg of you and please listen to me i shall want a few particulars he rapped out a number of questions which jeanne darcieux answered hurriedly that animal was never let loose was he never who used to feed him the lodge-keeper he brought him his food every evening consequently he could go near him without being bitten yes and he only for the dog was very savage you don't suspect the man oh no baptiste never and you can't think of anybody no our servants are quite devoted to us they are very fond of me you have no friends staying in the house no no brother no then your father is your only protector yes and i have told you the condition he is in have you told him of the different attempts yes and it was wrong of me to do so our doctor old dr guéroux forbade me to cause him the least excitement your mother i don't remember her she died sixteen years ago just sixteen years ago how old were you then i was not quite five years old and were you living here we were living in paris my father only bought this place the year after lupin was silent for a few moments then he concluded very well mademoiselle i am obliged to you those particulars are all i need for the present besides it would not be wise for us to remain together longer but she said the lodge-keeper will find the dog soon who will have killed him you mademoiselle to defend yourself against an attack i never carry firearms i am afraid you do said lupin smiling because you killed the dog and there is no one but you who could have killed him for that matter let them think what they please the great thing is that i shall not be suspected when i come to the house to the house do you intend to yes i don't yet know how but i shall come this very evening so once more be easy in your mind i will answer for everything jeanne looked at him and dominated by him conquered by his air of assurance and good faith she said simply i am quite easy then all will go well till this evening mademoiselle till this evening she walked away and lupin following her with his eyes until the moment when she disappeared round the corner of the house murmured what a pretty creature it would be a pity if any harm were to come to her luckily arsene lupin is keeping his weather eye open taking care not to be seen with eyes and ears attentive to the least sight or sound he inspected every nook and corner of the grounds 
looked for the little low door which he had noticed outside, and which was the door of the kitchen garden, drew the bolt, took the key, and then skirted the walls and found himself once more near the tree which he had climbed. Two minutes later he was mounting his motorcycle. The village of Montpertuis lay quite close to the estate. Lupin inquired and learnt that Dr. Guéroux lived next door to the church. He rang, was shown into the consulting-room, and introduced himself by his name of Paul Daubreuil, of the Rue de Surenne, Paris, adding that he had official relations with the detective service, a fact which he requested might be kept secret. He had become acquainted, by means of a torn letter, with the incidents that had endangered Mademoiselle Darcieux's life, and he had come to that young lady's assistance. Dr. Guéroux, an old country practitioner, who idolized Jeanne, on hearing Lupin's explanations, at once admitted that those incidents constituted undeniable proofs of a plot. He showed great concern, offered his visitor hospitality, and kept him to dinner. The two men talked at length. In the evening they walked round to the manor-house together. The doctor went to the sick man's room, which was on the first floor, and asked leave to bring up a young colleague, to whom he intended soon to make over his practice, when he retired. Lupin, on entering, saw Jeanne Darcieux seated by her father's bedside. She suppressed a movement of surprise, and, at a sign from the doctor, left the room. The consultation thereupon took place in Lupin's presence. M. Darcieux's face was worn, with much suffering, and his eyes were bright with fever. He complained particularly that day of his heart. After the auscultation, he questioned the doctor with obvious anxiety, and each reply seemed to give him relief. He also spoke of Jeanne and expressed his conviction that they were deceiving him and that his daughter had escaped yet more accidents. He continued perturbed in spite of the doctor's denials. He wanted to have the police informed and inquiries set on foot. But his excitement tired him and he gradually dropped off to sleep. Lupin stopped the doctor in the passage. "'Come, doctor, give me your exact opinion. Do you think that Dr. Darcieux's illness can be attributed to an outside cause?' "'How do you mean?' "'Well, suppose that the same enemy should be interested in removing both father and daughter.' The doctor seemed struck by the suggestion. "'Upon my word, there is something in what you say. The father's illness at times adopts such a very unusual character. For instance, the paralysis of the legs, which is almost complete, ought to be accompanied by—' The doctor reflected for a moment, and then said in a low voice, "'You think it's poison, of course. But what poison?' Besides, I see no toxic symptoms. It would have to be... But what are you doing? What's the matter? The two men were talking outside a little sitting-room on the first floor, where Jeanne, seizing the opportunity while the doctor was with her father, had begun her evening meal. Lupin, who was watching her through the open door, saw her lift a cup to her lips and take a few sups. Suddenly he rushed at her and caught her by the arm. "'What are you drinking there?' "'What?' she said, taken aback. "'Only tea!' You pulled a face of disgust. What made you do that? I don't know. I thought... You thought what? That... that it tasted rather bitter. But I expect that comes from the medicine I mixed with it. What medicine? Some drops which I take at dinner. The drops which you prescribed for me, you know, doctor. Yes, said Dr. Guéroux, but that medicine has no taste of any kind. You know it hasn't, Jeanne, for you have been taking it for a fortnight, and this is the first time. Quite right, said the girl. And this does have a taste. There. Oh! My mouth is still burning. Dr. Guéroux now took a sip from the cup. Pah! he exclaimed, spitting it out again. There's no mistake about it. Lupin, on his side, was examining the bottle containing the medicine. 
and he asked, "'Where is this bottle kept in the daytime?' But Jeanne was unable to answer. She had put her hand to her heart, and wan-faced, with staring eyes, seemed to be suffering great pain. "'It hurts. It hurts,' she stammered. The two men quickly carried her to her room and laid her on the bed. "'She ought to have an emetic,' said Dupin. "'Open the cupboard,' said the doctor. "'You'll see a medicine-case. "'Have you got it? "'Take out one of those little tubes. "'Yes, that one. "'And now some hot water. "'You'll find some on the tea-tray in the other room.' Jeanne's own maid came running up in answer to the bell. Lupin told her that Mademoiselle Darcieux had been taken unwell for some unknown reason. He next returned to the little dining-room, inspected the sideboard and the cupboards, went down to the kitchen and pretended that the doctor had sent him to ask about M. Darcieux's diet. Without appearing to do so, he catechized the cook, the butler, and Baptiste, the lodge-keeper, who had his meals at the manor-house with the servants. Then he went back to the doctor. "'Well? She's asleep. Any danger?' "'No. Fortunately, she had only taken two or three sips. But this is the second time to-day that you have saved her life, as the analysis of this bottle will show.' "'Quite superfluous to make an analysis, doctor. There is no doubt about the fact that there has been an attempt at poisoning.' "'By whom?' I can't say, but the demon who is engineering all this business clearly knows the ways of the house. He comes and goes as he pleases, walks about in the park, files the dog's chain, mixes poison with the food, and, in short, moves and acts precisely as though he were living the life of her, or rather of those, whom he wants to put away. <sighs> you really believe that M. Darcieux is threatened with the same danger? I have not a doubt of it. Then it must be one of the servants. But that is most unlikely. Do you think... I think nothing, doctor. I know nothing. All I can say is that the situation is most tragic, and that we must be prepared for the worst. Death is here, doctor, shadowing the people in this house, and it will soon strike at those whom it is pursuing. What's to be done? Watch, doctor. Let us pretend that we are alarmed about M. Darcieux's health and spend the night in here. The bedrooms of both the father and daughter are close by. If anything happens, we are sure to hear." There was an easy-chair in the room. They arranged to sleep in it in turn and turn about. In reality, Lupin slept for only two or three hours. In the middle of the night he left the room, without disturbing his companion, carefully looked round the whole of the house, and walked out through the principal gate. End of chapter 5, part 1